we're going to resume a sermon I started a few uh, weeks ago. The person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is going to be part two. But if you remember, I didn't get very far into it, did I? I only got a... I think I did that verse. And I think I did one other verse. And that was the end of it. So I, 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 I'm going to attempt to go through this today. So let's, uh, I still want to start back at that verse. So hopefully it won't hold me for half an hour like the last time. So Acts 1.8. So turn in your Bibles and it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the key word that I spoke about last time was you will receive power. You will receive power. And we get the Holy Spirit to receive power. Power in what kind of power are we talking about here? It's only, I believe, power with men and power with God. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, and, and he's not talking about when you receive the Holy Spirit, when Jesus breathed on them, when Jesus was with his disciples, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, receive it. And as he said that, do you think they received it? They did. That wasn't Pentecost, was it? Who knows that scripture? Jesus was with them. It wasn't Pentecost. That was a time before Pentecost. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they received the Holy Spirit. They were, in a sense, filled with the Holy Spirit. But they weren't empowered at that moment. They didn't have power with God. They didn't have power with men. They were still frightened little sheep. They still had to go through the upper room experience. They still had to spend time seeking God for the promised power that Jesus said to them just before he left. He said, do not leave Jerusalem and wait or tarry for the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about for and for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, but you'll receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. So these are disciples that had already had the breath of the Holy Spirit given to them. They, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They could believe that Jesus Christ was in fact God or the Son of God as God as God is. They could believe that. In a sense, they could function like us. They could testify that Jesus Christ is surely the Lord. But did they have the power to convert 3,000 people? No. They didn't have the Pentecostal power. They didn't have those things that they, that they received on the day of Pentecost because that's what was promised, was the power. So this is important to, for us to understand because it helps us to gauge whether we actually have the breath of the Holy Spirit that allows us to worship God, allows us to love him with all our heart, allows us to you know, understand the scriptures, enables us to say, Jesus is Lord. That's what the breath of the Spirit does. But the, the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I must say this, and I've said this, and if, if, those of you that have been in this church for a while will know what I'm about to say. 
is not speaking in tongues. Because you can have the gift of the Spirit, or the gift of the speaking in tongues, and it's talked about in, in 1 Corinthians, and it's, it's a gift that everyone can get if they ask for it. You can get the gift and it will edify the person. But then there's, Paul goes into quite a bit of detail about the kind of order in church. That in church services, if no one should, when, when I say this, understand, no one should speak out in tongues, like as in like a word for the church, unless there's an interpreter. Who knows the scriptures say that? Yeah. Does the church obey that? No. Elizabeth told me of a time when she was young in church and she used to hear someone um, speak in tongues quite loudly and then she said she'd always know, okay, she'd wait, where's the interpretation? And then there'd be someone interpret and then someone would speak in tongues, then there'd be an interpretation and then she says, oh, well, there's only going to be one more and someone would speak in tongues and then someone would interpret and then she knew that was it, because it's only three. They always came in threes like that. That's when they were operating in the Spirit, but they also operated in the Scripture, and they were obedient to the Scripture, and because they were obedient to the Scripture, God blessed them with all the gifts of the Spirit. These days, people ramble on in tongues for hours, no interpretation, no edification. It's better to speak a word of prophecy than a thousand words in a tongue. Doesn't it say that? These are important considerations because the Spirit wants to operate correctly. He wants to operate in, the, in a church that is in a, a, according to the Spirit, according to the Word. Because Just because you speak in the Spirit, it doesn't mean this is no longer relevant. It doesn't mean that the truth of what the Scripture tells us no longer applies because we're above it. Do you know what I'm saying? So we, we need the working of the Spirit. We need that. And, I'm, 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 and I'm, I'm all for the working of the Spirit, and I really want to see the Spirit work in this church, but also want to see it being in line with Scripture. Because I tell you that there is a, an increase of deception in the church today, and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where, um, you know, the Apostle Paul, if he came to some of the churches today, he wouldn't even be able to recognize them as Christian. He'd say, what, what, sort of, what sort of a church is this? What are you doing? Where's the, where's the spiritual order? Where's, where's the, you know, the, everything you're doing? Where does it say that in Scripture? The evidence, the true evidence that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit is power. The power with God and man. And don't let anything deceive you into thinking it's anything else. That because you can gabble on in a tongue, and remember, Pentecost, the tongues were what? Languages of men. Were they the tongues of angels? No mention of that. The only time you hear of tongues of angels is in Corinthians. And it's in reference to a spiritual gift that some people receive to edify them in their own private prayer life. But the church got this all confused and started to say, because you're now speaking in a tongue of angels, in the tongues of angels, you have the power. But no evidence of power because that person would walk out and, and talk to someone and no one would be moved by them. No evidence that they're truly empowered in the Spirit. Can you stand up at, in Rundle Mall and, and preach 
to the 3,000 standing in Rundle Mall and see them converted. If you can't, that's an evidence that you may be lacking something, but that's not the only thing. You could be, if you just speak to one person and, say, and, and, and reach out to them and, and pray for them to receive uh, you know, the, the enlightenment, the understanding of the truth, do we see them getting converted? Or think of it this way. Paul would go into cities and he would stir up such opposition that he would get stoned and dragged out of the city. He was dragged out of the city and stoned. Are you stirring up that kind of opposition? <laughs> that could be evidence that you have the power. Are you turning the world upside down? Wasn't that what the disciples were claimed to have done? These men are turning the world upside down. Let's put a stop to them. And they, no matter how hard they tried, when God wanted them to go forward, they could not stop them. But when he wanted them in captivity, they went into captivity. Are you getting imprisoned for the faith? Paul said this is how we know that he still preaches the cross, that he's still being persecuted. He still gets persecuted. That, he used that as a, as a litmus test. You know, am I still preaching the true word of God? Because if, if people aren't persecuting me, then I don't think I am. Is this, is this hard today? I hope it is. It feels hard to me because it's convicting me. Jesus wants a, a pure, holy, and spotless bride. Jesus wants a refined people. And that's the kind of people he's looking for. And... Um, we're heading into days where we need the power of God. Amen. Who knows they need it? Who feels in your heart that you need the power? You need the power to be able to convert your friends and your family. Vina and I, have, we, we live in a family that's you know, predominantly atheistic. You know, our, our family, or part of a family that's predominantly atheistic. We've been praying for them for years and not seen one of them come to know Jesus. I need the power. I need the power so that I can speak to them and see them getting saved. Who wants to see their friends and loved ones saved? Isn't it better to have Jesus sort of like stir you up a little bit and say, you don't have what you think you have? Because if you did, you would be seeing these things come in the past in your life. Don't assume you've got something that you haven't got. It's, it's equivalent. Jesus gave me an analogy. He says this is the analogy of the modern church. They're sitting in a car that has no engine and they're pretending to drive thinking they're going somewhere. But there's no engine in the car. And the, the church is deceived. They're thinking that they're having this great impact. They're thinking they're empowered with, with the power to, of the Holy Spirit. But they don't have it. Because if they had it, if, 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 if truly everyone who claims to be a baptized, empowered in the Holy Spirit Christian, if we were all truly baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, if we truly had it, Adelaide would be converted now. If you had the power even remotely like Peter or Paul or John, this city would be turned upside down for Jesus. Can I tell you this too? What, what's coming out of my mouth now is, is, not, is not me. And what I mean by I was I was over here this morning praying before the church and I was empty, empty as anything. I'm saying, Lord, I don't know what to preach today. I've got 
I've got nothing. I feel empty. I'm praying. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Please enable me to say something. So I step up here while I'm fumbling around trying to get ready. I'm saying, Lord, help me because I don't know what to say. And the moment I open my mouth, this is what's coming out. And I know that it's from God. Because why else would he be stirring me up inside, making me feel like, man, I'm falling so far short of you. And why would he try to make us feel and realize how far short we are from what he expects of us if he didn't want us to go for that? He's not just coming, he's not bringing you here for me to, you know, run you into the ground and say, you're a miserable, dirty, rotten scoundrel of a sinner, Christian. You're no good to anything. Am I saying that? No, God's saying, guys, do you know you haven't scratched the surface yet? We have got so much more to go. And if you would just open your heart to what Jesus wants to do in you, if you just let him, if you would just seek him and say, God, help me to achieve this. Help me to reach for this. Why am I falling so far short? And we all know we do. Who, who doesn't get into the prayer room at night and, and nearly... Have to, just about every night I have to say, God, sorry, I haven't, I haven't lived for you today the way I should. I want to get into the prayer room one night, just one night, and say, Lord, I've done my best today. I've, I've lived for you completely today. And when I say I've done my best, who, who doesn't try? Everyone tries. Everyone wants to be the best Christian they can be. But how much further can we go? How much further could we go that when we get into the prayer closet and we get to about five minutes into our prayer and we look at the, the watch and, the, and the, you hear your phone going off in the kitchen and you say, oh, all right, got to go, that's enough. Who doesn't feel that, that, that pulling away from what God wants us to do? Who doesn't get distracted? If you don't get distracted, let me know now because I want, I want you to come up and tell us how to do it, how to keep ourselves focused. But I can tell you one thing, it's, it's the same, th same thing that keeps us focused on Jesus in prayer is the same thing that keeps me focused when I'm listening to someone, when I'm meeting, like yesterday I, I met with Anthony at the coffee shop and I was just listening to Anthony and I had to stay focused on what he was talking about or else there would be a breakdown in our communication. And I just stayed focused. It's easy because he's a, a beautiful guy, easy to listen to. So we are just listening to him and then he listened to me and there was this beautiful line of communication wasn't it and it's the same with Jesus we've just got to get in there and we've got to be prepared to listen as well as speak and we've got to make an effort don't we all right you can see why I didn't get off this scripture the last time I'm nearly doing the same thing again just just ask yourself now do you need the power of the Holy Spirit who wants the power yeah who wants to be able to know without a shadow of a doubt that you could say to someone, gold and silver I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Who wants to know that? If you said that, it would be done just as you have said. Who would like to know that if there was someone who had just died in your area and all the saints said, if only, I'll, I'll use Ben as an example, if only Ben was here, where is Ben? Go and find Ben because if he comes in and prays for this lady, she will get up from her deathbed. Would you like to be, have that power that Peter had? Aren't we called to that? Aren't we called to that? 
Didn't Jesus say that greater things that you shall do? And Jesus was saying that just after he had healed, you know, like entire villages. Everyone who came to Jesus, they brought all their sick and he healed everyone, the Bible says. It says he healed all of them. And then he said, greater things than, than this you shall do. But you know, when we say this, you know what we do? We look at ourselves. We... we Gauge God's ability to empower us by looking at ourselves and saying, Me? Nah, I'm past that. I don't know if I can be used like that. That's obviously, maybe Rob could do it. And I'm going, No, no, maybe you guys. Maybe you guys could do it. But you know what? You're called to it. Who knows that's what you're called to? What does the scriptures say? What's the Great Commission? Yes, go out into all the world and make disciples. Is that, the, is that a commission that was given to just a few? Or what, did he say that to all the disciples? He didn't just say it to the apostles, he said it to everyone. And it was written down in Scripture for us to live our life by. And if we would live our life by it, if we would say, I will live by the commission. And I remember uh, Pastor Neil Ryan in a church just down the road here, he says, you know, it's called the Great Commission, it's not called the great option. I like that. It's not an option. Once you get saved, see, the truth of being saved is this. You get saved, and from that moment forward, you hand your life to Christ. Amen? You no longer are your own. You belong to him. Now, you know what we do? We hand it to him, and then for some strange reason, whether it's the doctrines we were under when we, we first got saved, we take a little bit back and then we take a bit more back and we say, no, you can't have that, you can't have that, you can't have that. And then before you know it, you've taken most of your life back, but you're still claiming that you're Christian. And that's the worrying thing because Jesus says, many will come before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and they will be cast from him. He'll cast them away because they did not do the will of God, he says. So what is that? What, who are these people that are getting cast from him are those that will take their life back, take a little bit, take a little bit more, take a little bit more, and before they know it, they're no good to God because they've taken everything back. So God wants you to give it all back to him. He wants you to say, no, here, have everything, have all of me. May your great commission become my overarching purpose and vision in life. You know, it's really important, and I encourage you all to go home and get a, a pad, get a, a journal if you've got a diary or something, and put a page there and write your name and then write life purpose and vision. Who knows about you know, businesses today, they start a business and the, if they want to be successful, usually they get a vision and they get a purpose and they try to make it as concise as possible so they know exactly what they're going to do in business. Usually if they have a good vision and a good purpose, that business has got a better chance of success because it, it can clearly articulate uh, where it's going to go in the business world. Now, as a Christian, we should be able to articulate clearly within a few words what our vision and what our purpose is, shouldn't we? Because, you know, once you have a vision, once you have a purpose, then you go, okay, all these things have got to drop off. I've got to get rid of all that so that this becomes my emphasis. So the thing that matters becomes my overarching purpose. 
Not the things that don't matter, the things that get in the way. The things that seem to come in and distract us and pull us from God and keep us from entering in. Yeah? Does that make sense? So write down, if you're taking notes, write down somewhere that you've got to go home and you've got to write down your vision and your purpose for yourself, your own life purpose. If you're a married couple, maybe a life vision and life purpose for, as a married couple. Now, you understand this too. You have different visions and purposes for different areas of your life. Um, but this one is the one that is the main one, the one that is the one that you're going to always try to make sure everything else falls in line with that. And I think it's really important because it can really help you um, every day wake up and know what you're supposed to be doing. And you should, if you, if you, get, if you get it down to a few words, put it on a plaque or, or put it on a, a piece of paper, type it up really nicely and pin it up on your wall, put it in your prayer room where you pray and look at it and read it every single day. And just to keep yourself focused on what, what it's all about. Amen? Okay. Let's see if I can go a bit further. John fourteen sixteen. if we can turn there. And it says, And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counsellor to be with you forever. We'll just go a bit further. The Spirit of Truth. And the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, first thing I, w- I just want to point out about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept, what's the next word? Him. It doesn't say the world cannot accept it, does it? It's, he's given a, a, a gender in a sense. But remember, God is not like a human in the sense that you can genderize God. But he would be masculine, a masculine Holy Spirit, yet he's sensitive. He's got feminine qualities, in a sense. That's why it's hard to, but he's a person. Um, he's, he's, he's an amazing, he's so sensitive, the Holy Spirit is so sensitive that you can grieve him by the slightest word. You know, you can just do something and the Holy Spirit will, it says the Holy Spirit will, will, will be grieved and move away from you and not want to be near you. Who knows, who's read those scriptures? And I've got these scriptures, they're all coming. But the, the emphasis here is he's a person. He's the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's many groups around that believe he's a, a force. They'll say he's like electricity or something. He's a, he's a power, but he's not a person. You can't speak to him. But the Holy Spirit is someone that can speak. you can speak to, and he will speak to you. And we're going to get see quite a few scriptures that talk, talk about the, uh, the different natures of the Holy Spirit. But John fourteen sixteen says, um, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor. Now that word counsellor, also in, in the New American Standard, comes as the, the, the word helper or the name helper. We've got counsellor. Um, an advocate is, is another one. An advocate is someone who, who defends you in court so, and, and speaks on your behalf. So the word translate for comforter, helper, or counselor is taken from the Greek word paraclete, which means advocate, a person who pleads on someone else's behalf and supports them. Now, a, a paraclete also in um, ancient times 
in, in the Greek army, the, the Spartans used to go out in paraclete formation. And what that was, was they would be going out to war and they would have their partner on their back. Or not on their back, but, you know, at their back. So they'd go out back to back. So someone was covering their backside while, the, while you were covering theirs. And they would fight in that formation. And you'd have an army of them fighting in that formation, which made them formidable because it's very hard to get them get to them when they're fighting that way. All the other armies just fought forward only. These guys fought back to back and they would move back to back. And they practiced that way. And that's why they could hold off like the Persian army with the great, you know, 300 Spartans who held off the entire Persian army because they would have gone through them like a mincer, just spinning, mincing up their opponents, you know. Uh, so the paraclete, um, in that sense, is, is someone who, who's got your back. He can protect you. So if you're really sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he can inform you of things and protect you from things that are going to come upon you in, in everyday affairs. Like, you know, you can even be made aware to, supernaturally of, of things that are going to happen so that you can better prepare yourself for those things. Um, so it, he's someone who is there to assist you through your life. And he's someone that we should be looking to constantly to help us and assist us and to counsel us and to direct us. Like every decision we make, Holy Spirit, please give me wisdom now. Please direct me now. Please help me to know the best thing to do. And um, Vina and I, when we, we get some, you know, you get in those life points where um, you think, you know, what are we going to do here? So we sit down together and we just say, Holy Spirit, you know, in the name of Jesus, help us to make the right decision. What, what are we to do here? And usually in, within 24 hours... It, 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 it's solved. You know, we know exactly what we're doing now. So it's pretty powerful, isn't it? So um, the Holy Spirit is someone who we can depend on. John fourteen fifteen. just turn there. Well, I'm going to be running through the same scripture, but back from if you love me, uh, you obey what I command. I will ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot see him. Sorry, the world cannot accept him. Now understand that the world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you and before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also will live. On that day you will realize that I'm in my father and you, you are in me and I'm in you. So whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me and he who loves me will lo be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So what he's saying is that by walking in the Spirit, that he will, will obey his commands, and if we obey them, um, that through that the Father will reveal himself, and, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So as the Holy Spirit, you know, it says, Seek me and you'll find, and it says um, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I always, under, you know, I always thought, well, isn't praying seeking the face of God? And it's not. Um, if you walk, live in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit prays through you, you will get given the, uh, the anointing and the power and the Holy Spirit to eventually you will see or the face of God, or in, in or the face of Jesus Christ, and you, he'll reveal himself to you in a way that you've never, ever known before. 
But see, what a lot of us are doing is we don't go that deep in the Holy Spirit anymore. We don't go deep. Um, I know many times I go into prayer and I don't realize, I forget all about the Holy Spirit. I think prayer is this, this thing that I have to do. Has anyone had that problem? That you just think it's all about you and what you have to say and what you have to do and that you've got to make yourself pray? You know, whenever you feel like that, you know, I'd advise you just to do one thing. Just walk up and down the room or, or get on your knees and just say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, cover me now in your precious blood. Because I'm, I'm struggling here and I'm trying to do it all in my own strength. And just the other day I was feeling that and um, I just said, Holy Spirit, you've got to do this in me. And so my whole prayer time was, I thought I didn't do much because I didn't actually say much. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't actively praying. All I was doing was just saying, Holy Spirit, have me. I give you, give you myself. Cover me in your precious blood, Lord. Guide me today. Be with me, Holy Spirit. And I just sat there in his presence. And who knows that sometimes there's just no words. But when I got up from that place, when I got up out of that room, out of the room and I, I got into the day, I felt empowered. I felt like, you know, I was now in God's will. And I didn't have to pray my normal long prayers, which I would, you know, because who's got that prayer sheet that I sent out? Anyone still using it? I was meant to talk to you about that before we started today, but um, I used, I, I would, I, and I still do, I walk around with that sheet and I just pray over all the points, but I also pray over all of your names that are in the, everyone who's in, in the prayer team and everyone that attends the church and everyone that has attended the church. Um, and I've got lists of my family, so intercession time will take at least half an hour um, to get through. So, but sometimes, who knows, you just don't have energy for that. Have you, who's felt that? You go into prayer and you're just like, oh, man, I'm exhausted. You know, I can't bring myself to pray in an ordered list. And that, that's because God wants you now to seek him. Just to seek him, just to sit in his presence. Okay, let's just get, try to get through one page. John fourteen twenty three. so it's a little bit further on. And Jesus replied, everyone there, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and, he will, he will, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you get that? If anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, the first thing they'll do is obey. They'll obey the teaching. And I'll ask you this, and the reason I ask you this is because um, it's really important that these questions get asked now. And I, who knows that I'm, I'm big on preparing people for the judgment of Christ? Who knows that's a real big, strong call, yeah? If any of you have found us online, it's probably through the judgment sermon. And who knows in that judgment sermon, I said if you were studying maths at school, and the teacher talked about everything except what's going to be in that exam. And they spent the whole year talking and waffling on about everything, making everybody laugh, illustration after illustration, funny, funny stories. And, uh, and it's all, you know, happy-go-lucky sort of stuff. And then the exam comes. And every student in that class opens it and looks at it and goes, I don't know anything in here. I wouldn't be able to answer one question. And my question in that video was, would that teacher be considered a good teacher? 
would he be considered a good teacher? If he spent the whole year talking about everything except the end of year exam, would he be a good teacher? And the answer is, as I said, he'd be considered a worthless teacher, not worthy of his pay, that he should be discarded out of the education system. Maybe give him one more chance, see if he can better it next year, and if he continue in the same line, not worth it. Not worth it. So if I come up here and I don't prepare the believers for the coming judgment, I'm worthless. And, and you know, the point is this. Isn't it better to feel conviction and have a chance to change now than to feel that same conviction but just a hundred million times worse standing before God on that day? And who knows? We could, you know, like I could be dead tomorrow and, and I believe I won't be because I believe Jesus won't let me go yet. So don't have to stress me. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? We, we could be facing judgment tomorrow. Do you want to be standing there going, Lord, I put you last. I forgot about you. I left you. I put you on the sidelines. I, put you on, I, I was intending to... I was intending to devote myself and you know I really wanted to devote myself. You know I wanted to live for you and Jesus will be looking at you letting you just waffle on because you'll be going on and on and on. And Lord, Lord, you know I wanted to put you first. You know I, I love you. And, and I'm not a judge. So I'm, I'm, depending on where you're at in Christ, Jesus could say yes and I love you. Come into the kingdom. But, and then you would, you know, he'd be saying, but take that seat down there. These seats are reserved for those that live for me. And you would be sitting down there with your head hanging, thinking, I wish, I wish, just Lord, give me another chance. Let me go back. Let me live this life over again. Let me go back and start again and let me get my priorities straight. Let me get my life straight. Let me get the things that matter and put here let me get my vision and purpose and and help me to set my sights on that and let me keep living the way I want to I don't want to live the way I want to I want to live the way you want me to I tell you you know um, judgment's going to be a tough time it's going to be tough for even the best of us and, and I'm not saying this to, to direct the finger at anybody. That's why I don't point. I'm doing this. So it's five fingers. <laughs> so I'm saying all of you. And, you know, to those out there in YouTube land. You know? Every last one of us, the scriptures say now, every last one of us is found wanting. And if it's going to be hard for the, for, for the people of God to be saved... It's going to be hard to get them saved. Jesus is going to have to do some real wise talking as our advocate to God. You know, Lord, Lord, you know, you know, don't, please don't discard this one. He, he's, he lived the best life he could in you. You know, he had his downfalls, downsides. You know, he, he was distracted a lot of the time. But please, just forgive him because he, he loves me. And on his deathbed, right as he was dying, he was crying out to me for forgiveness. And God will say, all right, I'll have mercy on him. Bring him, 
bring him up into the kingdom. You know, we don't, we don't want to have to plead with God for, for forgiveness on the, at the throne. Plead for him, plead to him for forgiveness while we live. That's the order of things. Repent now while there's still time. So that you can, and then and repentance doesn't just mean, you know, please forgive me, God, and then go back and do it again. Repentance means turn and change the way you live. Get your life in order. As if you're going to face God tomorrow. Make, get it ordered today. Don't leave it to tomorrow to do it. Leave it, do it now. Change it now so that it's in line with the with. God's will for your life and in line with the purpose and vision for your life. Amen? Because we can get so distracted. God, who knows? Is Jesus the most important person in your life? Is he supposed to be? Yeah, who, who believes that? Is, if he says, if you love your children and your wife more than me, you're not worthy of me. So I have to love Jesus more than Vina and I have to love Jesus more than Tessa and Alicia and my son John, our son John. I've got to love Jesus more than all of you. And you've got to love Jesus more than everyone in your family. Everyone, everything that you do, Jesus has got to become higher than that. So who comes before God in your life? Who are you putting before God in your life? Is your Holy Spirit your constant companion? Is your Holy Spirit your closest friend? Your confidant, the one that you always talk to? I ask these questions for your own good and for my own good because we need this. We need this. Who knows you? Do you believe you need this today? Do we need it all the more? <laughs> all the more? as the day approaches, as Jesus prepares to return and as Jesus expects a holy people, a, a, a clean bride, all the more should this be preached. I tell you, I listen to some of these old-time ministers and read some of their sermons and you think, this is convicting. You know, there's some ministers out there that will preach and you're going to think, I am totally unsaved. I need to come and repent at the altar. I don't even know what it is to be Christian. You know, some of the, the men that were under the, um, some of these ancient, old guys, um, I'm trying to remember some of their names, well, you know, Leonard Ravenhill and, and guys like that, but they would preach and, and Christians thought they were doomed. They would have to come and repent. Do you know, I've been in meetings where I was so convicted and I've been a Christian for 10 years. I came up to the front and gave my life to Jesus at the end of the sermon. Because I realized, the minister made me realize by the power of the Holy Spirit that if, if Jesus was there right then and there, and this was my judgment right now, if Jesus was doing the judgment right now and, and, and had me standing there, then I'd be having a tough time at the judgment. It would be a real hard thing for me to get into the kingdom because it says in Scripture, if it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard for the, for the believers to be saved. It's going to be hard for the people of God. And he says, how much more for the ungodly? So there's, there's a, a, a call. God's calling you to a higher purpose, a higher level with him. He's calling you to a higher devotion.
more sincere devotion. He's calling all of us. Actually, he's not just calling us here. He's calling the whole church. But what I'm afraid of is I don't know how many ministers are calling the people to this. How many ministers are calling people? And I'm saying this for the benefit of YouTubers. I'm hoping a minister will watch this video and go, yeah, you know what? I better call my church. I better call my church to, to repentance. I'm not preparing my people for what's coming. The Bible says that these days that we're heading into are going to be worse than any in history. Who's read that? Yeah, worse than any. Are we ready? Know this, the Holy Spirit will make you ready. The Holy Spirit will make you ready and you need to start to seek the Holy Spirit. You need to start to talk to the Holy Spirit. And you need to start to wrestle with these things. But God wants to clean us up first. He wants a, a holy people. He wants to see when worship begins in this church. He wants to see hearts aflame in worship. Hearts aflame without any distraction, without any inhibitions in the sense of thinking about uh, yourself and do I sing well enough to even join in in the chorus, if you know what I mean? But he wants to see us completely and utterly devoted. He wants to see us in prayer and sincere in that and going home and continuing in that. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm tr I hope I'm getting through today. You reckon I am? Thanks, guys. I'll just, I don't think I'll finish that scripture and I think that's as far as I'll go because I... I don't want to preach you into conviction and then preach you out of it as well. I've done that a few times. <laughs> preach you right through until you're all ready to go home. <laughs> Forget the coffee, I'm going. From verse 24, He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So if you're not obeying his teaching, maybe you don't love him. That's how Jesus would say it. But if you love him, you'll obey so, you know what? You, you can do this sort of thing. Who knows there can be a couple, a married couple, and they're out of love, right? And then people, you know, in, in, to keeping up appearances, people, you, you'll say, oh, I love my husband. And she'll say, oh, you know, he'll say, oh, I love my wife. You know what I mean? Then they, they go home and there's no love there, right? Can we be like that with Jesus? Can we be saying, oh, I love my Lord, you know, he's my all. But then the rest of the week you don't pray, you don't read his word, you don't live for him, you're not concerned for souls, there's no relationship. Is it easy to do that? A mouth confession, but no heart. That's why it says, you know, um, that we must believe with our heart. Confess with our mouth, but believe with our heart. The heart must be connected. It must be a complete confession. So Jesus says, he who, he who does not love me, this is verse 24, will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken with uh, while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things 
and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to teach you everything you need. And then it says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So the peace he gives us. If we're, if we're completely immersed in Jesus, you will have a peace. I was saying to Anthony yesterday and I saw this video and it was quite a disturbing video. Um, it was about two dozen Christian men. They're all in orange uniforms. Um, I think they were in orange. Jumpsuits, jumpsuits. Yeah, not, yeah. And they were all on their knees, a big line of them, and there was a Muslim behind every single one of them, an, an ISIS member. I don't know if anyone's seen them, seen the video. And I couldn't tell what he was saying because he was speaking in, in uh, strange tongue. Anyway, um, this, at the end of it, they all grabbed a knife and they put it at the Christians' throats. And, and I'll say this graphically because, you know, Christians overseas are actually confronting this in reality. We're just talking about it. Let's, let's not get too, you know, freaked out by it. But the fact is this, that every last one of them got their heads cut off all at once in one big long line. And it was so disturbing to watch, and I, I couldn't watch it. And the thing that really, really blew me away was the facial expressions of the Christian men. They had a peace that surpassed understanding. It was astounding. It was astounding. I looked at that, and it gave me such a strength to know that Jesus is adequate. Even at that time, Jesus was adequate, and these men could hold to their, their faith and not be shaken and not, be, not fear what the Muslims are about to do to them. And it was powerful. It was a powerful, powerful video. It blew me away. And who knows that you know, at the altar, those that have been beheaded for the faith are crying out to Jesus, aren't they? They're, that's where they're going. So these men probably encouraged each other to say, you know, we're going to be under the altar of God soon. And we're going to say, when are you going to go and avenge our blood, Lord? So if you're ever in that situation and your head's about to get cut off, excuse the graphic content here, just encourage yourself, you're going to be under the altar of God. Don't you want to go there? Who wants to be under the altar of God? Me. <laughs> you guys. That was encouraging. But I saw this... It, it, it was a, a non-expression. It wasn't like an expression of fear. They weren't panicking, but they looked calm and serene. So that was a powerful witness to me that the Holy Spirit is adequate, absolutely adequate. And I remember a story that I read in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Who's read Fox's Book of Martyrs here? No one? Parts of it at least? Parts of it? Guys, do yourself a favor and read the whole thing. I thought, Lord, Lord, give me the full brunt. I'm going to read the whole book. And I read the whole book and um, blew me away. Because you know what the word witness in Greek is? Martus, which means martyr. When he says, I'll make you my witnesses, you'll witness in Jerusalem, he says, you'll be my martyrs. At that time, martyr didn't mean someone who laid his life down for Jesus Christ. It just simply means the word witness. 
Within a hundred years, guess what martyr became to mean? Someone that laid his life down for Jesus. But it simply says, it means someone who witnesses. So I, I got challenged by that. I, I got challenged reading that book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. But there was one story I remember, and I um, can't remember the guy's name, but he was, he was getting led to his execution. He was getting led to a fire. He was going to get tied to a stake and burned alive for believing in Jesus. And on his way, the saints of God were there saying, give us a sign that the power of the Holy Spirit is adequate in this situation. Give us a sign. Give us a sign as, you go, as, as you're going in. And, and this martyr, this beautiful saint, got uh, strapped to this pole and they lit it up and the flames engulfed him and he stood motionless. He was just, oh, that's right, he was tight there and he's, he's standing motionless. And he stood motionless for quite a while as the flames were engulfing him, and they said his skin was starting to turn black and, and everything, and he had just motionless. It was as if he wasn't flinching from the pain of the flames or anything. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he put his arms apart and he clapped three times as if to signal the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He put his hands by his side and he slumped forward and he was dead. And that, that, to me, is a powerful story. He did not flinch in the flames. The flames, they didn't seem to hurt him. It's not to say that martyrs don't feel pain. They probably do, but the Holy Spirit enables them to go through it. So th these are challenging stories, aren't they? But who knows, as if, the, if the times ahead are as bad as what Jesus tells us they are, who knows that we have to prepare and ready our hearts such a time and who knows that we have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit like we've never known and who knows that we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit as I was talking about at the beginning to enable us to make use of that time because Jesus placed you here for this time when Jesus looked in the future 2000 or thousands of years ago before the, before, before the earth was created, Jesus knew you and he, he had you in mind for this time now in history. And he, he knew the kind of person you are. He knew the kind of gifts that you have and the kind of um, things that you could accomplish. And he chose you. He picked you out. And he said, for the last days, I want you guys. You guys. Hand-chosen. Now, some of you probably think he made a big error. I sometimes feel that, but no way, no way. Jesus knew what he was doing. He chose you. He chose you to be a witness to your friends. He chose you to be a witness to the nations, to your family. He chose you to be a powerful people that can pray the presence of God into a place, a powerful people that can heal by the touch of a hand and by, by the spoken word. That's what you were destined for. Anything less and you've fallen short of all that he's called you to. So he, he's got amazing things in mind for you. But you individually, each one of you individually, has to go into that prayer closet and say, Lord, what do you want from me? What was I chosen for? What's my destiny in you? What am I to achieve? 
What am I to be doing every day? How am I to juggle all these things that I've got in my life? How am I to do it so that you receive maximum glory? Amen? Has this been helpful? It's a lot more than I thought I was going to speak on today. So, all right, let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the honor and the privilege of being able to minister to these wonderful people, Lord. And and I just ask that you uh, really help us all to um, assimilate everything that was spoken today, that you stir us up, Lord, and uh, help us to um, correct anything in our lives that is that where we're falling short of all that you've called us to be so that we can start to live the life that you truly want us to live. Lord, we all believe here that you're the, uh, you are the absolute truth, that everything else should fall uh, or should pale in comparison to you. Everything else should fall by the wayside when it comes to um, putting you first. But Lord, help us to put you first, but help us to balance out everything else in our life so that they have their rightful place, but that you always have first place. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us this week in a powerful way and help us, Lord, um, to honour the Holy Spirit by obeying him and uh, working with him and, um, so that we can start to live the Christian life the way we're meant to live it. And uh, so, Lord, I pray that every single person has been, who has been challenged today will go home with it and, um, and let it affect them positively and let it turn them into the type of Christians that they're meant to be. And so, Lord, I pray for that there's going to be a move of the Spirit in this church. I pray that we be a people that will draw your presence, that you'll want to come close to this church because of the kind of people that we are, Lord. I pray that we become a people that will, you'll smile as you look upon, that you'll be pleased with, and that you'll want to draw so close and empower and, uh, and give us the most incredible experiences in your presence. And Lord, I pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And just bless us now in our fellowship time and uh, be with us, Lord, and uh, may we have a wonderful time together. And uh, just keep us in this mindset and keep us um, strongly uh, in your will from here forward. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.